We're going to continue in this series of hearing God. And if you're a guest, maybe today's your first time. Uh, maybe you're watching online for the first time. I want you to know every summer we do a, a small series on hearing from God because I, I'm convinced in my own personal life and, and in yours, it, it's just it's a difficult issue. It, it's something that all of us struggle with to have confidence in how to, how to actually hear from God. And today, we're going to specifically talk about structuring uh, my life to hear God's voice, okay? To, what does it mean to, to structure, actually structure my daily life uh, that, that I can hear God's voice? It's something that I've worked on for many, many years, not because I'm a pastor. I, it's because I really do want to hear from God, and, and so I have to take that seriously. And, and so I'm going to talk to you this morning about how that looks. You know, if... If you drive up 65 North and you're on your way, you know, to, to Brentwood or Nashville or beyond, you, you've inevitably seen that big radio tower right there at Concord Road, right? I mean, that, that joker cannot be missed, right? That thing is huge. And there's some pretty cool history behind that thing. It's the, it's the radio tower for 6.50 a.m. and it broadcasts, I mean, it's just huge radio signal, and it was a, a diamond shape that, that had kind of never been done, and, and from what I read up, and when I, I actually looked into it a little bit, but one thing's true about that tower. That tower right now, right this very moment, 24-7, is, is throwing out a signal. It's throwing out a signal, and, and the, the issue's not can, can the radio tower put out a signal. The issue is, am I willing to tap into it? It's about frequency. You know, um, I still find myself in this day and age saying if you'll turn the knob, you know, uh, my, my, my first vehicle had a knob that you turned. Okay, so hey, for all of you under 40, what happened was they had a radio, okay? I was, I was picking on a guy the other day who was trying to, he was talking a little trash. And I said, listen, don't say anything to me if you don't know what it means to how to listen to an 8-track. Because unless you know how to do that, the whole album had to be good in an 8-track, okay? And you couldn't rewind either. So the, all eight songs had to be good, right? Um, so so I, I still think about turning the knob and tuning into it. But that signal right now is emitting a signal. The issue is can you, can you hear it? Can you tap into it? And so it's not, it's not really that God isn't speaking to us. That's not, that's not the issue. I think the issue is can we actually dial into that and structure our lives about it? So I, I want to say on the outset of this today that you're going to be really tempted to walk away from this teaching moment of the scriptures. You're going to be really tempted to walk away with the thought of, yeah, I need to slow down. And I want to tell you right now, that's not the point. It's part of the point. But if you mistake it for slowing down, you're missing the bigger picture because our lives are not just about speed. In fact, I drew, I drew it out for you. This is what this is all about. I think one of the, the biggest barriers we have to hearing God kind of is, is in a Venn diagram of pace, clutter, and overload. For, for some of you, it's not pace. Your pace is okay. You're not just in a hurry. You, you, you do okay with that. It, for you, it might be clutter. Your, your life is so full of just stuff that you have a tough, a tough time structuring. And, or maybe you've, you're so overcommitted that you can't structure your life to hear from God. It's not just about pace. It's not just about hurry. It's about, it's about our structuring of our lives to, to pick up the signal that's already being transmitted Proverbs 4, I love this verse, I love the way, way it talks. Proverbs 4.23 says this, watch over your heart, I think I've got it on the screen, yeah, watch over your heart with all diligence, for, for from it flow the springs of life. You may have learned that verse when you were a kid, if you grew up in church, guard your heart, guard your heart. Watch over your heart. That's about your soul, your mind, your heart, your will, your emotions. It's not just that, that muscle that beats. It's, it's hey, you know, what that, you know what that verse is saying, don't you? Just, by the way, just, just tap into it for a second. That doesn't say God watches over your heart. It says you do. You are the keeper of your soul. What is your soul? Your soul's not eternal. I know every Southern Gospel song you've ever heard says that, right? 
I'm saying your, we, 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 your soul is your mind, your heart, your will, your emotions. Your eternal spirit's what goes to heaven. Your mind, your heart, your will are the deepest parts of you. And there are just too many verses in the Bible that tell me I am given the responsibility to watch over and guard my heart, my mind, my will, my emotions, my thought patterns. That's on me to do. So, so today, I want you to know right out of the gate, if you're feeling a sense of overload or pace, or if you're feeling a sense of hurry, then understand this, okay? This is the foundation of what we're talking about this morning. You can replace lethal habits with life-giving habits. Did you hear me? You can replace lethal habits with life-giving habits. In fact, I, I don't normally do this because sometimes I think it's a little bit cheesy. I, there's always these preachers, you know, want you to raise your hand all the time. And I, I, just, I, don't, I don't like sermon games, you know. I've never kind of been into that. And, but but I, I really do. I, I think there is something here about saying it out loud. There's something about saying it out loud. So I put it in the first person, and I want you to say it with me. Let's go to, uh, here we go. We're going we're to read this together. Ready? I can replace lethal habits with life-giving habits. I could tell by the volume that some of you weren't playing, okay? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do it. We're going to keep doing it until we get it right, right? This is what my football coach used to say. Boys, we're going to run this thing all day until somebody passes out or until you get it right, okay? I'm not going to do that to you because I'm not Coach Mullins, all right? But we're going to do it again. Ready? I can replace lethal habits with life-giving habits. Yes, I can. So let's look at how Jesus did that, okay? So turn to Luke chapter 5. Um, at Matthew, Mark, Luke. If you're on a device, I use the New American Standard. If, you, if, you've, uh, if you're kind of new to the Bible, it's okay. We were all new at some point to the Bible. Ma Luke is kind of in the middle, slightly to the right. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's in the Gospels. Luke was a a physician, and he, uh, you know, one of the things about the scriptures, and I just want you to know as you're turning there, it's kind of cool. Um, the, the gospels are kind of like this. You know, if, um, if, if we all went to a wedding, if all of us went to a wedding, some of you are going to really hone in on the, 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 the bride and her dress and you, you just have eyes for that, right? You kind of know. Or some of you are going to, that are all into catering, you're going to be like, man, did you eat those shrimp and grits? Oh my gosh, they were amazing. And then you, know, you go through all this. And then some of you are going to hone in on the groom and, his, and who he had for his, his best man. Some of you are going to look at the music. And some of you are going to look at the decorations. The Gospels are like that. One Jesus, four perceptions. Right? One Jesus, four looks on the same event, but they all came through different personalities. And so there's a, there's a situation happening right here in Luke chapter 5. Jesus has just healed a guy. And it, it's the last two verses we're going to pick up on in, uh, of this passage. Luke 5 verse 12. We're going to go through verse 16. Luke chapter 5 verse 12. And Luke says that while Jesus uh, was in one of the cities, behold, there was a man covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and he implored him, said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. See, these people were ostracized. I mean, they, in fact, they weren't even allowed to come near people without screaming. Can you imagine? Can you imagine every time you, if you had leprosy, every time you approached within so, so many feet, you had to say, don't, don't come near, don't come near. I mean, imagine the psychology of that, right? So, so this guy comes to Jesus, and he, you can make me clean. In verse 13, he says, it says, Jesus stretched out his hand. Eh, that's a big deal because leprosy was contagious. He stretched out his hand, and he touched him. He said, I am willing. Be cleansed. And immediately, the leprosy left him. And, he, and Jesus ordered him to tell nobody. By the way, I've always thought that was a joke. Like, if, if you've never walked before... And you get healed, and he says, now, look, don't, don't say anything. Well, first of all, you're walking. Weren't you not walking like 10 minutes ago? Right? I, I don't know. I just think that's, that's, that's just a Jason aside. Sorry, I kind of chased the rabbit there for a minute. Um, he, or, he ordered him to tell no one, but he says, go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, just as Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now, here's where I want to pick it up. I wanted to give you the context. Here's verse 15. But the news about Jesus was spreading even farther. And large crowds were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. 
he would often slip away to the will. And it's that word often. It's that word often. See, we, we don't have a lot of insights into the prayer life of Jesus. We have some. We don't have a lot of specifics into Jesus' spiritual life. We have some. But, and that's why you're not going to see me point to just one passage today because you've got to kind of pull from different places within it. But what we do know is Jesus had spiritual habits. Okay? He had habits. And, and so we want to look at some of those habits. And one of the biggest habits that Jesus had was margin. Do you hear me? He had margin, meaning he created margin in his life. There wasn't a sense of overload. I never get a sense by reading the Gospels that Jesus was out of breath, right? I never get a sense from reading the Gospels that Jesus got home and, and he said to his friends, you know, oh, I worked all day and got nothing done, Right? In fact, Jesus gets to the end of his ministry career, and what did he say? It's finished. Can you imagine getting to the day you retire and say, all that you've given me to do, Father, I did. And in 36 months, he said that. Uh, so, so with Jesus, he had certain habits that kept him there and that kept him uh, in, in line. In fact, I, I, I want, but I want you to point out how big of a deal this is because I, I wanted you to read that leprosy story for a reason. If that had happened in America, that story wouldn't go like that. If that had happened in modern-day America, let me tell you how that would most likely have played out. As soon as Je it says, it says in, look at what it says in verse 15. The news media, that is, the social media posts, um, this is the, the Jason Cruz translation, JCT. The news, the news media, social media posts about him, the YouTube bandwidth was spreading even further. And large crowds were gathering to hear him to be healed. See, he had a brand. And as that brand would rising, I can tell you what most of modern evangelicals would have said to him. Hey, listen, like you have to be responsible with this. I mean, this is a movement of God. So we got to get you an agent. We've got to get you like, look, we got to get you a PR firm. Now, by the way, if you're into that, I'm not knocking on you. I've had an agent. Okay, I've had a booking agent, praise God, because they make my life easier speaking. I'm telling you, I'm not talking bad about it. I'm saying we would have done it differently. We would have, we, people would have been saying, hey, people would have said, if Jesus had, had pulled back as often as he did, there would have maybe even been some people accusing him of being irresponsible with the growth. But it says Jesus often pulled away. It doesn't mean that we don't need marketing. It doesn't mean that we don't need agents. It doesn't mean that we don't need a marketing plan. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is as his brand grew, if you want to call it that, and it feels kind of weird to even talk, like, talk about it like that, but, but, but if, you, if you look at that way, it, notice how Jesus didn't conform. Did you, did you pick up on that? That he didn't conform to that. You see, he, he didn't, and this is really important for you to know, I get the sense from reading the Gospels that Jesus pursued oneness with God, and he created margin in his life in order to get it, right? See, he pursued oneness with God, the Father, and the way he went about that was to create margin in his life in order to get it, because what he wanted was the presence of God and the oneness with God. And let me tell you why that's so critical. Understand. Remember I told you just a minute ago, if you walk away thinking I need to slow down, you're missing most of the point. If you walk away thinking I need to just do this better, you're missing most of the point. Jesus created margin in his life so he could have oneness with the Father. And you know why? Because the enemy seeks to separate. Understand that. You have an enemy. Jesus said in John 10.10, that the thief comes, love that phrase, whether you want him to or not. You know, I've even seen Christians say, I just don't really believe in all that spiritual warfare stuff. And I said, you know what? It really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you believe in that. 
I've even had people say before, I don't, I, you know, why do, we, why do we talk a lot about principalities and authorities and the Holy Spirit here? Yeah, because it's the ball game. If you don't know how to navigate that, you're already in trouble. But see, the enemy doesn't come at you, oh, this is important. I'm like, this is, okay, look, don't get mad at me. If you can, I can take it. It's happened before, usually weekly. But, but I'm going to tell you something. The enemy doesn't just come at you with really bad things because the enemy seeks to separate. So if he can separate you with a bunch of good stuff that just isn't eternal, he will. If he can separate you from the Father with a bunch of overload, like, I mean, you've got a workload, you've got new revenue streams coming in like crazy, I mean, the money is rolling, baby, I mean, you are having to hire people constantly, you're having to get all, if he can separate you from the Father, he doesn't care how he does it, but his goal is always to separate you from oneness with the Father, so Jesus would often slip away to pray. And so the the reality is there are seasons in our life. You think Jesus didn't feel pressure? Of course he did. You think there weren't times in Jesus' ministry where he had to get up a little earlier? Of course he did. You think there weren't times in Jesus he worked 12, 14 hours a day? Of course he did. That happens in seasons. But it was never a lifestyle. It was never a lifestyle because his eyes were fixed on the eternal. So the real question comes down to that, okay, how do I, if we, if we have to pick and look at, the only way you get some of these observations is you have to really kind of study the life of Christ and, and you can do that, read this, the gospels. And so the question comes down to how do I structure my life to hear from God? How, how do I do that? How do I actually go about, well, you know what, truthfully, you guys, I mean, in, in, I mean honestly, there's, there's probably 40, 50, 62, 37 ways that I could tell you because all of our lives look different. They really do. All of our lives look differently. Some of you are, you know, introverts and I don't understand you at all. Um, and you don't understand me. I'm not an extrovert. I'm like a painful extrovert and part of my job in life and mission in life is to make introverts really nervous and I try as hard as I can. Um, you know, but I mean, we all, we're, we're all different, right? We're all shaped and formed differently. So it looks different for all of us. So I'm not going to roll out like 17 different ways that, because what you'll do is you'll turn that into like an algorithm and say, if I do one plus two plus three, it'll, it'll equal this every time. And so your life is different because life changes seasons. But what I am going to do is kind of give you some frameworks based on what I see in the scriptures this morning. And here's why, because you can replace lethal habits with life-giving habits. You can. You can replace lethal habits with life-giving habits. And so I'm going to walk you through a few because you want to structure yourself to hear the signal from the tower of the Lord that is already, it's already out there, man. It's already going. It's already going. Are you going to be able to structure your life to hear from God like Jesus did? So the first key component of that habit restructure is this. Sober my mind to the truth about a compressed soul. Uh, that's kind of a, a, a complex statement, but I don't mean for it to be, but I'm going to give you a minute because I love Clearview. Many of you are note takers, and I'm telling you what, man, look, I'm not just telling you that I do this stuff. I mean, look, right here in the front of my Bible, I keep a, a card, and, and, and it's just because sometimes I'll be in worship and God will speak to me about something that has nothing to do with that day, but you need to be ready when he speaks. And so I, 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 I'm, I love that we take notes here, and, and we've been a note-taking church the whole time. It's been long in our history, and I hope you do that, man. And, and, and so I'm going to give you a second to write that down. Sober my mind to the truth about a compressed soul. Now, let me, let me tell you what I mean by that. I think the first key truth that we have to come to grips with is realize the severity of the situation. This is a big deal. In fact, it's, it's the biggest deal, oneness with the Father. You know, if you look at the Ten Commandments, they're really interesting. There's one part of the Ten Commandments that's always been really interesting to me. Let's take, you shall not murder, Okay? Nobody in this room or nobody listening on a podcast, you would, you would never dream 
of breaking that commandment. I mean, you just, to straight up murder somebody, you, it, you just can't even map your, wrap your mind around that. Oh, I would, I would never do that. You, that's, a, that's a commandment from God. But you know what else is a commandment? You shall honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. And I've always found it fascinating that we get deeply moved at the idea that we would murder, but we don't give two blinks to not honoring the Sabbath. And, 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 and you know who's that's the hardest for? All of us that lead this place. It's really hard. We have to find different ways to do it. But why did God put Sabbath in the commandments? Because he knows. Because he knows we are prone to replace him. It's in the first and second commandment. Love me. Second one, don't replace me. You'll have no other gods before me. Why would God say that? Because he knows we're bound to do it. And Sabbath is one of those ways that when we put margin, what is Sabbath? It's margin. When we put margin in our lives, then it brings us home. It brings us home. It lets us know that our work isn't eternal. It's, it's work. It's important. But our daily jobs, they're important. People are eternal. My job isn't. Did you hear me? People are eternal. My job isn't. Aren't you glad your job won't be in heaven? <laughs> Come on. Boy, I just turned some Pentecost, Baptists into Pentecostals right there. Yeah. Over in the chapel, y'all didn't see it. There were five people started speaking in tongues right there. I mean, it was awesome. Um, hey, but listen, man. So there's margin. So, so let, me, let me show you a verse real quick about how this plays out. Proverbs 19. Also, it is not good for a person to be without knowledge, and he who hurries his footstep errs. Now, I want to tell you, I don't often bring this up. You, you, you probably haven't noticed this, and, and I'm glad you haven't, but I don't often refer to the Greek and the Hebrew a lot up here. You know why? Because you have a really good English translation. You really do. You've got great English translations. And I don't want you to think always, oh, but look, unless you're like me, unless you know the Greek and the Hebrew, you just don't have access to the good stuff because that's not true. Okay, I use the original languages to help me understand it better. But you, have a very, you can have confidence in your English translations, especially the solid ones. And, and so, so what I would say is that I actually looked into this word hurry because I had a sneaking suspicion that there probably... It, it, look, so I had a Hebrew professor one time. And, and we were all, you know, because we were so intellectual in our, at 21 years old about the original languages, we would get into these deep debates on the origins of the language. It, it was pathetic. And, 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 you know, our professors were so good at that. And I'm going back a long time. But I remember Dr. Ellis one time in Hebrew and, and Bob Ellis, and he, and he was letting us go on and on and chop, 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 chop about this Hebrew. And we were arguing with each other about the original root and the syntax and all this that stuff. I, I worked really hard to forget. And, and, and he said, uh, and our class was full of men, and he said, he looked just like Groucho Marx, by the way, if that helps you any. Um, he said, um, fellas, look, and you knew something was coming, right? Fellas, look, you've got this cosmic God with a cosmic vocabulary, and he's squeezing it down into a language. Right there alone, you got problems. We're doing the best we can with what we've got. And I never forgot that. We're doing the best we can with what we got. So sometimes there's words in the, that don't always translate to English just perfectly. If you know another language, you know. Like there's some words that, you know, I can speak a little redneck Romanian and, and there's words that don't, they get on me all the time when I speak Romanian and I'm like, it's Southern Romanian, man, you got to go with it. And, and um, so, 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 so there's words that don't translate. And then this is kind of one of those words and, and that word hurry, you know what? And it's like most wooden sense really does get to 
pressed or compressed. The person who is pressed errs, meaning packed down, overloaded, mashed together. Am I describing anybody's life right now? Can I get an amen or no me? Look, right? It's pressed together, pressed together, pressed together. So in effect, a short way of saying this in Jason's own words, on the, let's look at the next one. Uh, I would say earthly overload creates eternal error. That's kind of the short version of that verse. Earthly overload creates eternal error. Not, I don't mean like as in whether you're saved or not. I'm saying literally, if, if you are so overloaded here with no margin in your life, you are bound, by, based on Proverbs 19.2, you are bound to have error. Let me ask you a question. Can you point back to a time in your life where you made mistakes because you simply got impulsive and didn't think it through? I'm not looking at anybody at all, right? Of course, of course. We all do that. I love what Pablo Picasso said, and he did some pretty long-reaching long work. That guy almost lived to be 100. He said, without solitude, no serious work is possible. Wow. Without solitude, no serious work is possible. I give our staff here, they know they have a green light 24-7 to depart. They do. You know what, some of you that lead businesses, you know one of the most refreshing, life-giving things you could do to your team? Give them a green light to pull away and really solve an issue. Go away for a couple days, get in a hotel room, don't come into the office for two days, go to Radnor Lake, don't go to the office for a day or two, go to Tim's Ford State Park. Do something, break the snap the rhythm, snap the rhythm. And you've got to give yourself permission as a leader to snap the rhythm. You've got to give yourself permission. You know why? Because you've heard this old term, I'm so busy working in the business that I can't work on the business. I don't know if he still does it, but I, I don't know if it's a, still a habit, but Jeff Bezos, I mean, I think he's doing okay. Jeff Bezos created a, a habit of every Friday he took no appointments, none. Richest man in the world. But he used Fridays to think. You know, they said Abraham Lincoln, one of his closest friends, said, Abraham reads less and thinks more than any human I've ever met. They said when he would encounter a problem, he would often abandon everybody and go away for days to, as he said, ponder. So that when he came back, he had clarity. See, Jesus had margin in his life. Because he knew the enemy seeks to separate. So I would just say to you, understand it, it's more than time management. And I look at another part of Jesus' life that I think is really important right here. And I would say it to you this way. Just another observation about the life of Christ. I would say be present. Jesus was present. If you want to you structure your life, what's the goal today? Learn how to structure our lives to hear from God. So we have oneness with God. That's the goal. We want oneness with God. It's not about slowing down. It is about oneness with God and hearing God's voice. And if you want to do that, one of the ways I've tried to learn to do that is to be present in the moment. And I'll be honest with you, that's really difficult, especially for a guy that whatever happened to me on the day God made me, I don't know why he did it, but I am overloaded with hyperness, okay? Any of you that have kids that you worry about their incredible, extreme hyperness. Listen, look at me, baby. I turned out awesome, okay? I mean, come on. That was a really good joke. I mean, that was good, right? No, seriously, right? My, da my daddy told me, my daddy told me in college, he said, listen, if ADD had, if we had a, had a name for that, you had to come, in 1977, you had to come home from kindergarten every day with a note pinned to your shirt saying, please do something with your son. Right? My dad said, you were just hyper. I, I knew it. I, 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 and, and so it's, it's true. I'm still that way. I, I, I have a hard time shutting off my mind. And by the way, I'm going to do it to some of you. I'm not kidding. Turning it into a little group therapy for a second. Listen. Just don't get mad at me. Sometimes on Sunday mornings, as an extrovert, I feel like the whole room needs me to say hello to them, okay? 
I'm not kidding, man, right? I mean, you know, M- M- Michelle and I can go to a social function and she can meet one person and have a talk for 20 minutes or an hour with that one person. We can leave that thing. How did how'd the party go, honey? Oh, it was great. Met this woman. We talked for an hour. And I'm like, you, you talked to one person? Like, like, I feel like it's a cry and shame if you don't get to meet me, right? And so, so I, I have to work that whole room, right? I have to work that whole room because what I want you to know is glad you're here. It's a good party. I know I didn't host it, but it's going to be a good party. And so, you know, we're going, I feel this huge pull, right, to do that. So sometimes on Sunday mornings, I have to watch myself because somebody like Mark, might be picking on Mark because it's what you get when you sit on the front row. You pick on Mark. Mark's sitting there. He's talking to me. Hey, Mark, how you doing? And I'm looking over here to see who else needs to. And that's awful. I hate that about myself, right? I do. I do it sometimes. I'm getting better at it. But but sometimes we, we're so, it's so hard. Y'all ever find it hard to be like, to just be present? Gosh, I know people that are just like right there with you. And for those of you that can do that, like email me and tell me what you drink and what you eat. If I want to buy it, it's hard sometimes. But Jesus was present. He, he, he had a tendency to be where his feet were. Because I think what ends up happening to us in today's society is we spend, listen to me, this is important, we spend, we spend most of our lives and we're never really anywhere. We are always in transit. We move from meeting to meeting, appointment to appointment, gathering to gathering, Zoom now Zoom to Zoom, and we're often never really present anywhere. And when you're not present, you miss stuff. You just do. And that doesn't make us bad people. It makes us very human people. But Jesus had a tendency to be present. And, and there's just two examples I'm going to show you this morning. Just, just, you can write these references down and read them later. One's in the Gospel of Mark. And it says in Mark chapter 10, it says, and as he was leaving Jericho, I love this story. As Jesus was leaving Jericho, and I know that's probably a little small for some of you on the screen, but I wanted to put it all in one context, and I kind of ran out of screen room. As Jesus was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus was there, and it says he was sitting by the road. And when he heard that it was Jesus, the Nazarene, he began to cry out, that is in a loud, loud, loud voice, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, this is a large crowd. So many were sternly telling him to be quiet. You know, you ever got, you know those people around you? Yeah. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying all the more, saying, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped. And he said, call him here. Now, in a large crowd, full of noise, full of people gathering, full of people yelling, Jesus had the presence to be present. And he heard this guy screaming. He was screaming, son of David. It was an acknowledgement to, I'm pretty sure I know who you are. So, he's screaming out. And Jesus had the wherewithal to hear it. You know what? Here's another one that I really, really love. This is one of my favorites about Jesus being present. It's in Luke 8. It's about the bleeding woman. It says, as he went, the crowds were pressing against him. Okay, let's stop. Don't read forward. Think about it. There's so many people. It's like you ever been to a concert where you're like, okay, wow, I can't, I can't move. Like, I, I, I actually can't move. There's this many people around me. It's awful. Okay? And, and a woman who had been hemorrhaging for 12 years... And could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. And immediately her hemorrhage stopped. And the Bible even says power went out from him. And Jesus said, who is the one who touched me? Now, if you go on and read the rest of that story in Luke chapter 8, one of the disciples, I think it was Peter, said, uh, Lord, there's a crowd. It's, it's, it's code for, hey, uh, Jesus, everybody's touching you. Like, like literally, they're just, because there was a, a sentiment in that day, there was a mindset that if, I, because they knew he could heal people, if they could just touch him, maybe they could get some of that. 
I mean, no kidding. There was some idea there that if, if I could get near the healer and just touch him, maybe some of that will happen to me. So people were constantly reaching out. They were patting him and touching him and all this stuff. And, and so he's going through this crowd. And he's, being, he's being hit, and, and, and the disciples are trying to protect him. And this one woman who doesn't want to be noticed, she slips in from the back. She touches him. Whoom, power comes out. Who touched me? In a world of people, of overload, people touching him. Somebody touch me. Yeah, 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 Jesus, we know. Everybody's doing that. No, no, no. Somebody with faith touched me. That's different. So, so he was present in, in the moment. And I think, I think Jesus modeled it for us really good about what it means to be present. And I think the reason he could model it is because I, I get this overriding sense in the life of Christ that he just didn't conform to the cultural flow. He really didn't conform to the cultural flow. Everybody was trying to push him one way and get him to be one way. The disciples, more than once, came to him, scolding him. Where have you been? People have been looking for you. We can't find you. And he would say, hey, you know what? That's true. Let's go further over the lake. Was he being mean? No, he wasn't. But he had the presence of mind to be present about what God really called him to. You know, want to know why we talk so much about you finding your purpose? A big part of that is that so that you won't spend your life chasing something you were never created to chase. But if you don't know what your purpose is, you're going to chase the next best thing. You're going to chase what feels good in the moment. So you got to know why God called you to what he called you to, and Jesus did. So I think we need to be sober about the reality situation. We need to be present. There's one more I want to point out to you this morning, and it's this. I would say if you want to structure your life to hear from God, develop new routines based on new appetites. Develop new routines based on new appetites. I worded that importantly, or I should say specifically for a reason, all right? Develop new routines based on new, new appetites. You know why? Because you can, you can replace lethal habits with life-giving habits. Amen? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. You know, in, in my life, um, I've, I've always been amazed at something. There's, there's been a fair amount of people I've actually driven to rehab, um, some were on heroin, some were uh, deep alcoholics, some were both uh, substances, you know, alcohol and drugs. And, and uh, many, many times I've put people in my vehicle and literally gone to their house before they got there, met with their spouse, husband or wife, went ahead and packed them a bag, put it in my vehicle and said, when they got home, why are you here? Well, I'm here because we're going. And, and it would take an hour or more to convince them, sometimes not that long, but we're going, and so we would go, and and so I. But you know, you know what? Where the most amazing moments were for me. It was not taking them there; it was picking them up. When I would get to go pick them up, because often I would be the one to pick them up, and it was fascinating to watch a grown man or a grown woman go into detox and then go detox is first and then rehab second. And they would spend 15, 20, 30 days, 45 days sometimes. In fact, there was one guy, their, their, their physical change was so, I, I can't describe it. Their, their skin color was different. Their eyes had life. Their countenance, the Bible talks about your countenance. Countenance was insanely different. Their step was different. There was one guy that changed so much, the first time I saw him, I didn't recognize him. I'm not kidding, and I knew him. Because drugs had done so much to his body that, that he was literally dying. Detox always really fascinated me because you would see the before and the after you would see the, 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 lethal come, the lethal habits be replaced by life-giving habits. And, and it made me think of that when I was putting this together, that 
you know, yeah, many of you in here, not all, many of you, though, are not on a substance. Many of you are not alcoholics. Some of you are. But the, the, the truth is, all of us, it doesn't mean that just because we're not going down the road of substance abuse, it doesn't mean we don't have lethal habits that, 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 that take away life. Well, we do. All of us do. And some, we got to be mindful of that. But you can replace lethal habits with life-giving habits. And so, and the scriptures tell us that we, we do have the power to be transformed, Romans 12. So, so how do we actually do that? Well, I think the, the, the easiest way to do that is you got to develop new routines for new appetites. Remember, I told you Jesus wasn't creating margin in his life just so he could be less stressed. He was creating margin in his life to be one with God, to be one with God. So I'll, I'll tell you, I'm, I, I could list off a hundred habits that we might replace a new routine, but I am going to give you one. I'm going to take a little privilege here. I am going to give you one. And I'm going to give you this one because I, I'm firmly convinced there isn't a single person in this room, including Jason, there isn't a single person in the chapel, there isn't a single person watching online on YouTube or anybody listening months later on a podcast, there's none of us in here that this does not affect. Okay? There is one quick, fast, and immediate area that you could replace a lethal habit with a life-giving habit. And it starts with your phone. It starts with your phone. You know, they call that thing wireless. No. No, you're chained to that thing. Some of you are chained to this much. Some of you are chained to this much. Some of you are chained to this much. We are tethered to that thing. That phone isn't evil, and the phone isn't good. The phone isn't a demon, and the phone isn't holy. It's just a phone. But I have constantly got to remind myself, I own my phone. My phone doesn't own me. I own my phone. My phone doesn't own me. Y'all, the data that is coming out in the last five years on what that is doing to our actual brain is horrifying. So I want to tell you, stay with, and I'm not picking on anybody. I'm saying I'm living this with you. I am in a constant battle in this area, okay? But I'll tell you, here's why. This is why I think it's such a big deal. Yeah, Jesus didn't have a phone, but, you know, I don't know. We all had phones. I tell you what, none of us in this room are rock stars because that's exactly what Jesus was in that day. Everybody wanted a piece of his time. Everybody. So, so he, he didn't have a phone, but he did have that. So I can tell you when it comes to our phones, this is where my conviction is. How in the world can we be listening to the frequency of the signal that God puts out if literally every seven to eight seconds there's a ding, ding, mm, 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 somebody needs me, mm, mm, somebody needs me. And you know what they're saying? Handle my problem, handle my problem, handle my problem. Answer me now, answer me now. Handle my problem. I need you, I need you. Email, 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 email. What make, no wonder we're neurotic. I mean, they're telling us now in, in all this data that, that the brain can, is only going about 15 seconds at a time because it's having to reset constantly because we get notifications all the time. Even in your sleep, um, don't raise your hand. How many of you leave that stupid notification dinger on and you wake up and you, you got a text message and usually it's from some person you don't know who got drunk the night before and mistyped a number and they're and telling you to come pick them up, you know, because they're at some club downtown Nashville like, I don't even know anybody like you and, and, and what's, who are you? And it's, or you get some random, I got a friend of mine, he, he stays up to like four in the morning and he's prone to text me at like 3 a.m., you know, and I'm like, dude, not me. I don't get up at four in the morning unless I get a chance to shoot an animal, all right? It's the only time I get up that early, all right? So, and that's only in duck season. So, but what happens to us, right? We're, we're constantly having these, these things pull at our brains, and they're constantly tackling at us. Let me tell you what I did about four or five years ago. 
First thing I did when I, I got overloaded, I, listen, I live this, I live this stuff. I'm not just preaching, I live it. I, I, first thing I did a few years ago, you know what I did? I went into my phone because I, I own my phone. I, I paid for it. It didn't pay for me. Only Jesus paid for me. Amen? I, I paid for my phone, you know, paid Apple, good, well, a lot, real good for a stupid phone. And, and so I went into my email account on my phone and I just disconnected all accounts. Like, nobody got mad. And if they did, they couldn't tell me. It was awesome. Right? I, 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 now, I still check email, of course. But it wasn't going, right? You know what I also did? I went in there and I took off all notifications on everything. Except my ringer. And I only turn it on when I want to. I keep my phone on silent. I miss some calls sometimes. Yeah. I do. You know, 25 years ago, 20 years ago, if you called me and I, or I called you and I left you a message and I, and I said, hey, Eric, I hope you're doing well, man. I left a message on your machine at home or maybe at, you know, maybe at work. And hey, man, give me a call. I had a question about something. A day or two went by. And it, some of you that are real prompt, you got back the same day, but a day or two went by. I wasn't mad at Eric, you know. Another guy sitting on the front row, I'm picking on the guy on the front row. Don't sit on the front row. It's a new lesson for all you guests. So, so you know, if, if he didn't call me back for a day or two, it's no big deal. Now, hey, brother. I've been like texting you for an hour. I called you like four times, and I know that you know that you know that I know that we, I called you. Right? It's making us wicked people. We have no patience for anything. Right? We don't. I own my phone. My phone doesn't own me. And if you want to hear from God, friends, it starts with you creating mental space. Had a guy one time who was really struggling with this. And while we were at lunch, I said, so you're, he's like, man, my phone's going off all the time, man. And we were talking. He, he worked for a, a big corporation. And he said, I'm answering emails 8, 9, 10 o'clock at night. And so as we're eating lunch, I mean, he goes to the bathroom. So I noticed he left his phone like unprotected or unwhatever. So you know what I did? I went in that joker and I just disconnected all his email accounts. All right, don't ever go to lunch with me. I will, you know, I'm like, you called me, man. So, so I did. For the next 15 minutes, we had this amazing conversation. And I said, hey, I just, he said, man, I, yeah. I was like, hey, by the way, last 15, 20 minutes, like we've really talked. You know, I, by the way, I disconnected all your email accounts. He literally got mad and panicked. He said, I don't know that I'm allowed to do that. I said, is there, is there a contract between you and your employer that says you have to be accessible 24-7? No, but I can't, I mean, I don't, I, I, I've got sales issues. I said, yeah, yeah, you do, always, forever. And he panicked. If you don't think this stuff is real, let me tell you, when I first disconnected my email notifications from my phone, you know what happened to me? This is when I got really embarrassed. I mean, like really embarrassed. I pulled up to the red light. I, I don't know why I remember it this vividly, but I was at 96 in Mac Hatcher. Pulled up to the red light a few years ago. I pulled up to the red light, 96 Mac Hatcher. The red light comes, and the first thing I did wasn't driving. I'm in line at a red light. I reached for my phone. And I went, I hit my email, and I went, oh. It only took four seconds of stopping for me to look to fill that time with something else. Do you hear me? It only took four seconds of slowdown to, to tell myself, I got to check on something. I got to check on something. And I, would, I did that five or six times for the first week until I finally realized, holy smokes, I'm like the Pavlovian rat. Like I'm just tapping the thing to get more morphine. But I'm telling you, I did it. And I've kept it that way. You have to develop new routines for new appetites. So when we look at the life of Christ, we see that Jesus did slow down. But I want to say this to you, and I wrote it down so I remember to say it this way. Jesus didn't use slowing to unplug. Jesus used slowing to plug in. He created margin in his life so that he could plug into God. 
And you can still work a full day. You can still check your email every hour. You can still do whatever you want to do, but you have to create somehow. You've got to create a new routine based on new appetites because the issue, you guys, with a pressed soul, Proverbs 19, the issue with a pressed soul isn't, it is not a time issue. It is a soul dysfunction issue. Time is just a symptom. You have to have a new appetite. I heard one guy say, a hurried life is a symptom of a hurried soul. And he's right. You have to create a new appetite. Jesus used slowing to plug in. You know, some of you, including me, I'm speaking to myself right now, there are many of you that are action-oriented, man. I mean, you are drivers, you're a go, you're a go person, and I love that about you. It's how God made you. Don't fight it. I'm telling you, God made you for action. But I do want you to hear me clearly. Slowing by intention is action. Did you hear me? Slowing by intention is action. Creating margin in your life is action. You can replace lethal habits with life-giving habits. You really can. You really, really, really can. You're not going to get, I'm not going to get to the end of my life. I'm not going to be 89, 90, 92, 95. Whenever my final chapter is being written, I can promise you what I'm not going to do. I am not going to feel guilty that I didn't return a phone call. I'm not going to feel bad that I should have answered more emails. I'm not going to feel bad and feel guilty that I just needed one more follower on Facebook. Just one. God, give me one more. I'm not going to feel bad about it. I'm not knocking that. I'm not going to also feel bad that I didn't attend more meetings. Listen, a lot of that stuff is important. I'm, don't hear me say it's not important. I'll tell you what it isn't, though. It's not eternal. If you want to experience the life of Christ, you can do it if you replace lethal habits with life-giving habits. And that can only be found in Jesus. You know, you often don't think about sharing something with somebody like a tweet or an email or sending them a sermon or sending them a podcast. You don't often think of that as missions, but it is. It's not that you have to send it to the whole world or post every single thing we do at Clearview on your feed. But if, if you've heard a sermon or if you've listened to a podcast, think through your life. I mean, God, who needs to hear this? Sometimes it, it, it doesn't need to go on your Facebook page. Sometimes it needs to go on your Twitter. But sometimes just a simple text to one person can make all the difference in the world to sending them the Word of God in real time. Share it. You'd be surprised how far it goes.